In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. We continue our conversation about discipleship, about the contents of that celebrated phrase, follow me. And just to finish our meditation on repentance that naturally flows into the next phase of this journey of following Jesus. That's why he says, I am the way. To reach him is a journey. But the geography is restricted to the human heart. The journey takes place within our heart. That is why Jesus says, don't look for advancement of the kingdom outside yourself. To the degree that we're united to Jesus, to that degree, does that light of Christ radiate? Because he's the light, and the closer we get to the power source, the more we're a light. Whether we realize it or not, we usually don't realize it. In this long parable of Jesus' mercy and his Father's mercy, because who is Jesus? He's the mirror image of God the Father. He's the incarnation of God the Son, who is the mirror image of God the Father. And the Son begins his journey. The journey begins with contemplating the love of the Father, how good he had it at home. And he underestimates the infinite mercy of his Father, and he's going to cut his losses and see if he could get a job as a hired servant. And so he prepares his words that are heartfelt sorrow for having alienated himself from his home, from his father, and causing his father sorrow. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, God respects freedom. That's why God didn't drive a pickup truck and tie his son up and throw him in the back and bring him home. He was looking for him every day. He'd go gazing into the horizon to see, maybe my son will return. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him. That other image in the gospel is very prominent, Jesus looking at his followers, he saw him, and had compassion and ran, and embraced him, and kissed him, 
all sorts of human manifestations of affection, of love, looking at them. People have experience, it's been shared with me, that when they say goodbye to a parent or to a spouse, and one person said, I, I noticed my mom, or another case, my wife, looking at me as I pull out of the driveway. And I notice the look, even though I'm not looking at that bay window or that bedroom window. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And see how uh, discipleship, evangelization in the Gospels always begins with confession. Repentance. Repent and believe in the gospel. And when we read or hear the word belief in the gospel, using an idea of St. John Paul and an idea of Benedict and an implied idea of Francis, belief is not mere academic agreement to the contents of the catechism or the contents of the gospel. Yeah, I, I agree with it. It's the word of God. Belief means a whole change in lifestyle, they say. If we really believe, we incarnate everything Jesus says. I mean, that's full belief. And in fact, belief, faith is as good as it's inspired by deeds of love. The more love, the more faith. And St. James talks about an empty faith that is not inspired by love. So repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and embrace the teachings of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus, this comes from Pope Benedict, is Jesus himself. He is his own teacher. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And what do we notice here? Complete, lavish of praise, of affection, of compassion, and evangelization. Because the father doesn't just say, well, let's go out and celebrate this conversion with a glass of wine and a leg of lamb. No, we're going to throw a party and get everybody to this party. We're going to kill the fatted calf. Why? Because repentance and an experience of the compassion of Jesus needs to get to other people. It can never be restricted. That's why the party wasn't just one-on-one. -on -one. And there is value to one-on-one, -on -one, don't get me wrong. 
But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. It's a symbol of holiness. St. Paul will always use that image of putting on Jesus Christ. It's a covering. It's a superimposed life upon our own, which is the life of Jesus. Put it on him and put a ring on his hand, which is a symbol of fidelity. And shoes on his feet, which is symbol of walking with Christ. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and make merry. I'm not a scripture scholar, but I would say that the sacrifice of the fatted calf is a remote image of the Eucharist. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. The longest conversion story is about the Samaritan woman. And where does it begin? Well, it begins with, call your husband. And she says she doesn't have a husband. She has five. And Jesus said, well, you answered rightly. You've had five husbands. and You're living with somebody who's not your husband, just for the record. And that turns her around. And Peter says something eminently true. He is part of this miraculous catch of fish. And he has I would what we would call in modern parlance a panic attack. I'm not in his league, let alone to be ahead of this group of followers. I'm going to cut and run. This is overwhelming. I don't think I can handle this. You know, I appreciate the business of boatloads of fish, especially you know, pulling an all-nighter without catching anything. But I kind of think it's safer just to part ways here. I think he's choosing the wrong guy. I, I'm not his man. I, I, I've got to be honest with him. But when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Fulton Sheen says, when Jesus uses the word Simon instead of Peter, it's to denote his weakness. So I guess this is his weak moment. So he's calling him Simon here. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Henceforth, you will be catching men. Your sinfulness is not an obstacle. In fact, we could use it to your advantage. Sounds like St. Augustine, who arguably the greatest, I guess him and St. Thomas Aquinas are neck and neck, uh, Christian theologian. And in running through all his theologies, his conversion. Because he was a sinful man. His mom wanted to baptize him or have him baptized when he was a teenager, but he already had a mistress as a teenager. They started young in those days. 
and he didn't want to give up the mistress, nor did he believe in the Christian faith, so he didn't get baptized. And so we see the sequence of events. We look at Levi or Matthew. We look at Paul. We look at the holy women who also had their issues and they needed to repent. And now they're great saints. They're at the foot of the cross. They're announcing the resurrection. Now, once that's in place, there's another step which they all take. Let's read a little bit of detail of what transpired in these conversations when Jesus invited both men and women to follow him. And behold, one came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do? And when he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good, one there is who is good? And so he's just setting the stage. Only God could fill you. Never forget that. Don't define your happiness by anyone else or anything else but by God. Nice young women and young men, but more women than men, get worried because they're called to marriage, they're called to be moms. And there's nobody out there. As they, to quote them, it's slim pickings. Especially when you're looking for someone who shares your spiritual and moral convictions. It's hard to find people. And some of them get rather anxious. Because as the years go by, they feel that there's less possibility and less opportunity. In my younger days, I would get more involved, keep my eyes peeled, and matchmake, but I start to realize that matchmaking ability was not an effect of holy orders. Sometimes it would backfire because these, these couples these were more conscious that I want this to work than you know, relaxing and getting to know each other. Oh, I'm under pressure here. You know, my coaches set me up here. I should make it work, but, you know, so I just pray. I think that's plenty. And so I said, well, I'll pray that you meet someone. Oh, thank you. And there's eyes get rather misty over the whole issue. And then, I, you know, with reminders of my guardian angel, I tell him, listen, you'd make a great wife, a great mom, case of a guy, same thing, but, but don't define your happiness by that. Don't rob yourself of your freedom. How do I define it? All right, we need to make that act of faith by Christ. That's how you define your happiness. And so that's what our Lord is telling the rich young man. Being a rich young man in those times of, of Jesus' public life, being rich, according to the Old Testament, was a sign of being blessed by God. And he was young. The other Gospels, he's young. All right? Uh, if I were younger, I would be 
tempted, I was, but I'm not tempted anymore, to skydive. All right, not anymore. Young people like to party and stay out late. As the years go by, that's less attractive as well. I was invited to attend just to make an appearance at a party with older teenagers or college kids. Just come, just make an appearance. And I said, well, let's wait for Holy Week and I'll do it then. Uh, well, why Holy Week? I said, because it'd be a great act of penance. <laughs> but if you're young, looking for someone to, to love for the rest of your life, in marriage, whatever it is. That's what you do when you're young. And so, if the guy was elderly, he or she would need less convincing that only God could fill you. But now he tells the young man, who has a lot of options, a lot of possibilities, only God is good. One there is who is God. One there is who is good. If you want to enter life, notice our Lord uses want. If you want to enter life, he doesn't say you have to. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Where do you stand with the commandments? Well, you know, that's step number one. Are you lying? Do you have resentments? Are you lustful? Are you greedy? Are you mean-spirited? And Jesus said, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I've observed, what do I still lack? Kid was pretty good. Gave up faithfully ice cream, chocolate. He was older, beer for Lent. Some people have been heroic. This is more millennial fasting. They fasted from Facebook. It was killing them, but they did it. So it's all, you know, this mortification business is a little bit relative as well. This young man was very pro-life. We're going to get married and be very open to life. These are good things. And he was in the state of grace. Not easy. As we told our Lord, basically, I keep all these commandments. I got an eight average. Some people have a B average. Commandments that are multiples of three seem to be a little bit more challenging. So it's a B average. Well, we need to get an A average. And why does he begin this way with the Ten Commandments? In this celebrated encyclical of St. John Paul called Veritatis Splendor, basically an encyclical on moral theology. He begins with an elaboration of the Ten Commandments, but it's kind of has a very special twist to it. John Paul talks about living the commandments in order to own yourself and have a threshold of self-control and freedom to live a higher law of holiness. And the raw material of holiness, he says, is the total gift of self. That's how 
Mary's introduced. When we pray the Angelus, we always contemplate her total gift of self. May 1st, another feast of St. Joseph. What marks his life? That total gift of self, that total yes. That's the linchpin. And the gospel reads, he looked, again, this look of Jesus. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Those eyes of love. He loved this young man. And probably he was thinking, look at this motley crew I have here. Finally, I have a, I have a nice kid. <laughs> you know? We just have to fine-tune him. I mean, he doesn't need this deep, emotional, profound, tearful confession. He just needs a little bit of fine-tuning. Maybe he has to work a little bit on lukewarmness, but there's a lot of potential in this kid. He looked at him and loved him. I want you on my team. And the rest of the apostles want him on his team. Wow, got a little bit of money too. That can't hurt. Someone's got to pay for the trips to Gentile country. And it's always the same sequence of events. I like to use the example of St. Francis of Assisi, and that's one of Pope Francis' favorite saints. You know, we don't want to sell this poor saint short. Popular culture has him playing with hamsters and guinea pigs and petting kittens and looking at deer and squirrels and chipmunks. I mean, this guy was uh, a party animal. He was reputed to be the best-looking man in Assisi. He was a knight. He was a good athlete. He was a good swordsman. He was great on a horse. You could see him in a suit of armor. And he was one of the richest men, or his father was anyway, in northern Italy. War broke out, I think. It was between Assisi and Perugia, not exactly World War II, but a war nevertheless, and he was captured. And he was a prisoner of war. And he was a prisoner for a year. And he went into a bit of a depression. Prisons in those days were certainly not like the Ritz. And he started to examine himself, and reflect on his life, and he started to realize that all his riches, all his talents, all his partying, his girlfriends, we're not filling him. And he realized, he didn't say, well, I'm going to be a Franciscan. But he said, well, I've got to live the gospel the way it's meant to be lived. So when I get out of prison, I'm going to make some radical change in my life. So he goes to his pastor, and he has a bag of gold coins. And he says, Father, I want to follow Christ, and this is all yours. Did you ask your father? He says, no, I, I feel cold. So in an Italian fashion, the pastor wouldn't accept the money. Francis got ticked and took the bag and threw it in the sanctuary and stormed out of the church. In Italian fashion, his father locked him in a closet. And then Francis finally got out of the closet because he kept hearing, being inspired, build my church, build my church same time, the Holy Father had a dream. 
of a beggar-like young man who was holding the church on his shoulders. Francis gets out of the closet, disrobes, and storms out. This is very Mediterranean melodrama, but these interior sentiments of literally every single saint needs to be embraced by me and you in order to be a follower. We need to do it the way Mary did it, the way Joseph did it, amid the ordinary, which is, doesn't mean it's second-class self-giving. It's just different circumstances. And Jesus tells the young man, well, you're doing pretty well. You're going to synagogue. You're saying your prayers. You're fasting. You're a gentleman on a date. You're, you're searching. You're moral. I need more than that. I'm going to cut you people loose in a violent, hedonistic, skeptical, unfriendly world called ancient Rome, the whole empire. You can't just moralize. You just can't be a nice person or a good person. That's, that's a tall order, but it's not good enough. I need you to be me. I need you to love with my heart. And there's only one way to do it. All these I've observed, what do I still lack? The poor kid thought he was going to get you know, a pat on the back. Hey, you're doing great. You know, look at the people on my team. You're head, head and shoulders above them. He didn't, Jesus didn't say that. Look at Matthew, bumbling along. I'm trying to convince him to go to AA. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Who are the poor? Anybody who doesn't have God in their lives. Anyone who doesn't have Christ is poor. Mother Teresa said that we are arguably one of the poorest countries in the world, even though monetarily or materially we're the richest. When we don't have God and we don't know his commandments, or even worse, where we think the commandments are hostile. It's a poor country. But I've got to convince these poor, and I'm lucky that I have Christ, so I'm less poor. I've got to convince them that Christ is real by my sanctity and I only can do it with this total gift of self. And so when Peter hauled in his boatload of fish, and Jesus said, hey, don't worry, you're going to be catching men, there's a very important phrase, and it, and it reads as a throwaway phrase. It almost seems inconsequential or redundant. It's not. It's key. It's essential. All right. Because implied there, Jesus says, Peter, I just need you to give yourself totally. And, and the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. And so do not be afraid. Henceforth you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Okay. 
So just to finish up, the Lord is asking me to have those dispositions of putting Jesus first. Pull out all stops with your grace. And then taking concrete steps, baby steps. But I, I'm going in a certain direction. What's the direction I'm going? He's the center. I want to run a marathon, but I haven't run yet, so I'm going to work on running 50 yards, little by little, but I'm, I want the marathon. We finish our prayer using these words of St. Josemur. Underneath the chapter of calling in the way. Why don't you give yourself to God once and for all, really now? And the last point, go and preach the gospel. I will be with you. Jesus has said this, and he has said it to you. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspiration you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Holy Mary, our hope, handmaid of the Lord.